0: Hello, I'm Andrew Skipper. Um, This is The A Perspective, a series of podcasts looking at investment in Africa and the impact of COVID-19 on the continent. I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors, people who are deeply committed to building the continent. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting enormous opportunities. Today, we turn to a CEO in the infrastructure sector to discuss the current state and future of the continent beyond COVID, as the virus continues, unfortunately, to attack the world and the African continent. Malek Suka is the man at the helm of Averda, the leading waste management services provider in the developing world with operations across South Africa, Congo, Brazzaville and Morocco. Malek was recently a panelist at our Hogan Lovells Africa Forum, but he's also a regular participant at WEF in Davos and is a member of PACE, the platform for accelerating the circular economy, which we'll talk about later. An engineer by training, he's also a trustee of Boston University And a passionate supporter of the arts. Malik, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. The the year began a very long time ago, it seems now, with a great mood of optimism for Africa, with a lot of people talking about investing. I was at the UK Africa Investment Summit myself. But now we have COVID. We have major economic challenges, enhanced by the things which made us more optimistic, for example, infrastructure and demography. How would you ca- how would you characterize the current situation from your point of view with your enormous experience? It,
1: uh, you know, when you said, you know, the beginning of the year, it, it, it mm. feels absolutely like 10 years ago, right? It does, and, doesn't it? Yeah. The amount of uh, uh, just experience that we have gained, and most of it unwanted experience that we have gained, um, you know, it has been f- stupendous. and when we look at the, the the current situation, is really there is a, a very big question mark on how long it's going to be, because if it's going to finish in a month, I think the world would probably turn around and probably recover uh, much quicker than we would have anticipated if this uh, continues to sort of, uh, I think they call it W now, right? We went from yeah. V... We, we were at the V. To, I, I don't know, it feels like either a W or an L, I mean, but but yeah. there is a moment where you know, we we keep bumping up and down this, uh, you know, uh, open and lockdown, open and lockdown. But I think, you know, when we look at it from an African context, uh, it's quite interesting, because um, there have been countries which have taken a very uh, absolute view, you know, like Brazzaville, where they just, you know, shut down the country, uh, I think, uh, early April, and, and they haven't made any attempt to sort of uh, come out of it uh, until very recently, where there's been noise now to say this, and I think we should, you know, ease down and begin to allow people in and out. So, and then you have countries like, uh, uh, say, uh, Egypt or uh, Ethiopia, where there has been a sort of a, a continued uh, operations. And 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 when you look at the two, the experience has been quite interesting in terms of, of, of how the nations have, have dealt with it. And when we see it and where we operate in Morocco and, and and South Africa, you know, we see the cases internally and, and, you know, our health and safety team has been phenomenally engaged with the way that we've dealt with these. And, you know, it, it's very clear that very few countries were ready for this kind of pandemic globally. I mean, I think with the exception of Germany, if you look at the rest of the world, whether in the Europe or in, in the States or across uh, other countries, you know, uh, the response has been sluggish, and and you know, Africa has not been you know worse off than than you know some of the European or American counterparts, and that was very surprising. I mean, to be honest, you know, with with all the preparation that you know we were emotionally led to believe, it hasn't been uh, a, you know a, a, a an embarrassment. But at the same time, I think uh, uh, when you look, if this is going to take much longer. Then I think we're going to start finding a lot of these uh, infrastructures beginning to get stretched, and and we know that from the way from, from the supply chain and the supply chain uh, is beginning to stretch. You know where we had to wait typically for let's say uh, six to eight weeks for a spare part to arrive. Now we're talking about three to four months. Now we've been lucky because we've overstocked historically. Just for just that's how the culture of the company is. And so we've kept a longer stock for, for, for these essential items. Now we're beginning to get to where we would go orange to red yeah. on comfort level. And I think we're beginning to see that. And I think, you know, more so in South Africa than anywhere else, because it is also a producer. And when you've had these factories shut down for three, four months, you know, it's beginning to tell.
0: Yeah, but Alberta is right at the front line of infrastructure development in Africa. And there's this massive gap, infrastructure gap already and obviously, with, without if you don't get waste right, all the other things like health in, and infrastructure, generally, and urbanisation can't be progressed. W- could you give us just an overview of what Averda are doing in Africa? And
1: I always say something, Andrew, whenever I'm in a meeting and, and I'm trying to sort of explain uh, to people, you know, how important waste management is. Yeah, I, yeah. I use a sort of anecdote, which goes, you know, when you're sitting in a plane and you're leaving a country, without fail, you'll remember two things. You'll remember how dirty or clean it it is. And you'll remember how much traffic you were stuck in. And Mm. if you use these two very basic metrics, right, you don't want to invest or visit or be part of a country or a city or a a region that has a high traffic, high dirt. So we we as an industry handle one half of that problem. And when you look at how basic and important the service, I'll give you another story. I mean, we were... At the beginning of the COVID situation, and this was, you know, both in the Middle East and in Africa, we got, you know, these regulations that said, thou shall not leave your house and, yeah. and not go to a place of work. And so I picked up the phone and I spoke to our clients in the municipal level. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, you know, you think COVID is bad. Imagine now dysentery, malaria, all the kinds of things that infest as a result of waste not being cut cool. yeah. I said, you know, we have to make an exception for our industry to be able to roam the street Because it's going to get really bad if we don't do that, right? And so, it's that critical. We're 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 sort of mission critical uh, at that level. And you know, you you know, for every dollar you spend on waste management, you save four dollars in healthcare down the line. So, at the end, it's that critical. And and trying to explain that, and this has been my sort of bugaboo for the last you know twenty years that we've been operating. That you know, don't worry about the waste to energy on day one. Don't worry about recycling on day one. Worry about collection, 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 collection. If you're not collecting the waste, you can't recycle, you can't do waste to energy, you can't do any of the cool things you'd like to do. And unfortunately, to this date, I think the, the, the statistics are, you know, 44% of waste is being collected in Africa, right? It That needs to improve. And so, when we start pitching up and saying, you know, we need to improve collection, everybody thinks we're trying to be basic or we're trying. No, it's just that's the first step of, of what we do.
0: You're critical, but equally from your own point of view, it gives you a massive responsibility for your your staff, doesn't it? In terms, so, how have you managed well, I, to make I, sure that? How, how have you managed to make sure they go out there at the same time oh, as staying safe?
1: Well, we, we were. I mean, I don't know about lucky, but so I, I want to give the management team probably a little yeah, yeah. more. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think you know. I think I think you know, they're going to lynch me on, on Monday. But uh, the, the the issue here, the 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 guys in uh, in, in the health and safety department mm. very early read this issue of coming from uh, Asia, and uh, they they overstocked the PPE right. And at the time, you know, I had the CFO coming and saying, "Listen, these uh, heroes, you know, in in, in health and safety, want to you know order an extra, blah blah." Dollars worth of uh, PPE. And I said, listen, these guys are, are generally controlled. They're not They're not the spendmeisters of the company. So let's, you know, uh, let's humor them for once. And, you know, uh, and so they did. And so we, we never had any shortage of PPE across the organization as a result of that foresight. And for that, I am eternally thankful. From, from that perspective, you know, we made it very clear that the number one uh, critical aspect for us is making sure that our people are healthy for their own sake, for their family's sake, and for the communities that they serve. Because, they, they, you know, I I don't want to equate them with with healthcare, but we're not that far behind in terms of the workforce, right? And so we said, let's keep them safe. So as a result, we were able to continue to serve. And then we said, okay, what's the next level of criticality? And exactly to your point on the PPE, you know, we we set up collection points for PPE uh, uh, for our own people and for people who, you know, were happy to collect them and double bag them and we would take them off their hands and so yeah. we did that as a second response and then we went about and you know it, it, companies like ours are built to put up a plan and try to run it as many times as possible road closures on a daily basis you know uh, lockdowns lo- are not things that are natural to a utility like environment we, we, we're we not built for change right change is not something we really uh, embrace so it was very difficult for people to get around, uh, you know, the daily, uh, almost daily replanning of a, of a massive, I mean, I just want to give you a feeling of how many we're dealing with. We're dealing at any given time. We have about 3,000 trucks roaming the street. And at any given time, we're doing 400,000 lifts of, you know, bins in a day, right? So that's the scale of what we're doing. So when, when, you know, you change one or two things, you know, when you change and you upset 1%, that's 4,000 people who are upset. And to be honest, uh, again, when you missed a lift, historically, most people were not at home. And so you had an extra couple of hours to go back and pick it up with COVID. You know, our client was sitting there outside yeah, you know, yeah. in the yeah, yeah. watching, from, you know, we were, we were entertainment at that moment. Right. And, and from where we're sitting, we're trying very hard to find a, a a way that we could probably on the next, and I hope we don't have one, but we would be quicker to respond, even quicker to respond.
0: Looking forward, you're on record as saying that the development of a better waste infrastructure is crucial to boosting the African economy. Um, can you explain? Can you explain that?
1: Uh, uh, you know, if we go back to that example of, of where I said, you know, you don't want to be in a in a congested, you know, yeah, sort yeah. of travel yeah. base. And, and you want to be in a clean in a clean environment, right? And today, you know, with the ESG revolution that is happening in the public markets where, you know, you cannot be a vibrant and growing economy if uh, you're not dealing with your waste. There is no way, right? No one wants to go invest hundreds of millions of dollars in a new plant in a, in a country where you can't, you know, you have to step over rats to get into your hotel. I mean, that, that's not going to happen anymore. That's finished. So from where we're sitting, we said, you know, step one is let's get the collection, right? Step two, let's make sure that it's being uh, placed in a sanitary landfill to start with. And very quickly after that, start collecting what is recyclable. Step four, we start moving into waste to energy. Yeah. And step five, we start recycling, uh, uh, you know, whatever we can. And and thanks to COVID, uh, I think step Four has probably been accelerated or leapfrogged really very quickly because when people look, the notion that you had to be waiting for a foreign entity to manufacture a ventilator or a PPE for you is very unnerving to people. So I think we're going to see a rebirth of local manufacture as a result of the COVID uh, scenario. And I think having the waste infrastructure could provide an excellent source of material uh, for people to be able to create these uh, resources and the materials that it needs.
0: That's very interesting you have talking about leapfrog because the African Union's been talking about new paradigms for Africa, new um, ability to take control of supply chains and and um, do more manufacturing, adding value in country. Does, is that something you, I mean that sounds like something you you would agree with absolutely Andrew I mean
1: there isn't a single high-tech device that could be in existence today without Africa mm. right whether it's I mean my, my, my knowledge of materials is is not what it should be but you know I think the DRC provides most of the battery uh, uh, material uh, uh, for most of our uh, smartphones I think you'll find that you know the, the metals and everything. so the reality is, you know, it's already a, a place for these materials that come out of the ground. Now, what we need to start doing is how do we make sure that we take that and we add some basic upskilling and capability into the mix and create a, a, a local market and then eventually a market that you, you know, can export into. And I think it it, it sounds, you know, aspirational, but, it really isn't. I think, it, you know, everywhere in the world, if, you know, someone had said 50 years ago that you're going to be wearing your sneaker from Vietnam, you would have laughed, right? And so I think there is a belief that has to start transcending the uh, uh, the, the obvious answer. And, and from where we're sitting, we want to be part of that solution. We want to be the people who say, listen, by the way, there is, you know, X hundred million, I think 180 million, you know, tons per year of waste that come out of Africa. And, and you know, those need to be dealt with. Even if you take out 10%, 20%, which is recyclable material out of that, you're talking about 30, 40 million tons of almost free raw material that you can use for uh, something, you know, value accretive.
0: Yeah, and are you finding um, more of the sort of the... the, the the technology side of things is is something which you are you're promoting in, in your space as well, which a lot of people talk about the leapfrogging of Africa coming from the use of technology and things and, and, and the like. Is that something which you find increasingly important to your business?
1: There are two ways we, we look at technology. One on how we we get our hands on the waste and, and, and you know where is it coming from, what kind of waste it is. And then the second is what do we do with it. And yeah. on both ends, I mean I think it sounds really cheeky, but the fact that there has been little investment in the sector is almost a blessing at this particular moment, because you can leapfrog all the mistakes of everywhere else, right? You can buy very good technology at probably a very good price and, and catch up and probably get ahead of, of most places very quickly. Now, having said that, you know, for example, on our digital platform, I can tell you every, you know, citizen in Casablanca's, uh, you know, throwing habits into the bins, right? We can tell you what are the various componentry of uh, the waste streams coming out of uh, a certain factory in uh, South Africa. So we have now the capability not only to know when it's coming out, how much is coming out and what it is. Now comes the challenge. What are we going to do with it? And I think there's a, a golden opportunity that Africa must seize, right? Which is, there is a, a consensus and a, and a commitment by the, the fast-moving consumer goods giants, right from Nestle to Coke to Pepsi, uh, Unilever uh, and, and PNG and, and, and I'm record Benkizer. I mean, the, the, the really large, large corporations that they've all banded together and agreed that by 2025, you know, all of their packaged goods would not be put into landfill. They would recycle a hundred percent, and this is a global commitment. And I think Africa is yeah. needs to jump all over this opportunity because yeah. once in a lifetime, the producer is willing to pay on on, on their own volition without needing to be, you know, uh, dragged across the room with regulation or you know threatened with you know import taxes or anything like that. They've come out and, you know, their CEOs, their boards have all committed to it. So, and they have money against it. I think Nestle, when I was going to Davos, they had just made a, 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 you know, an announcement that they're starting with a 2.8 billion euro uh, investment in that. And that's just the start for them, right? So that kind of money is there. And I think Africa and the African leadership needs to jump all over that and make sure that they, Create an infrastructure in every one of their countries to be able to collect, process, and remanufacture. And the remanufacture creates jobs.
0: You mentioned Davos, which is very. I mean, tell me a bit about the the circular economy um, and how that impacts Africa.
1: The the um, the circular economy, I think, comes from a, a notion that you know you can't have. A, I mean, the the opposite of circular is linear, right? Yeah. So you take. You know, you make and then you throw away, right? Uh, where with circular, you take, you make, and then you recycle, and then you take and you make and you recycle, right? Now there was—it's never a perfect circle, and there's always going to be a little bit of loss every time you do that. But if you can manage to keep your circle, you know, flowing, that's a great thing. And I remember, uh, you know, when when you know, I think Dame uh, Ellen Macarthur yeah uh well, who was the sort of the 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 leader of the project mainstream and she was the one who came in and said, Listen, you know we need to fight the you know the the straw and i and I didn't understand and she said listen the 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 plastic straw is everything that's wrong in society it's something that people don't need people you know don't have any perceived value for it I mean, you can drink from a glass you can drink from a paper yeah. straw and you see these all over the sea and you see them wherever you go so it started as a fight against the straw, I have to say, about 10 years ago in Davos. And I never thought, I mean, I have to tell you, I never thought it would, it would be so galvanizing. And I think the amount of plastic that we find in the oceans today is shocking, right? Whether in microplastic form or in, 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 in big plastic form. And as a result, we have uh, really become part of this uh, project mainstream where we're, we're dedicating resource and, and a little bit of money towards uh, uh, research and implementation of various programs. We did one for plastics. Uh, We did another one now for food. We're doing one for electronic waste, where we create a full stream from the producer all the way to the recycler, because unless you solve it in in a total package, right, it doesn't work. Now, the unfair advantage that Europe has over everybody else is the fact that they were willing to pay Right mm. and uh, whether directly with subsidy or indirectly through landfill taxes or other kinds of taxes and and this sort of the producer uh, tax or producer uh, duty was was something that became uh, a, a sort of a standard in Europe and and the rest of the world has not really caught up to it yet but. You know, so what we've seen over the last almost 10 years in, in Davos is a move from, you know, uh, uh, I remember the first meeting from the, the circular economy. I think there were like three of us and, you know, we, we felt like uh, the outcast. And then the last year that we were there, you know, seven, eight months ago. You know, I think there were 300 people in the room for, for that meeting, right? And I think yeah. that tells you how important circularity now is. It's no longer, you know, when we said it was Project Mainstream, it was not mainstream at the time whatsoever. Now, you know, there isn't a, a single brand. Uh, I think sneakers are almost entirely made from recycled plastic. There are, You know, everybody is, is, is jumping on the bandwagon, and that's a great thing.
0: But I think also Averda has been involved in a lot of education and public information around household waste management as well, which clearly, I mean, could you talk a bit about what you do and why you think that's important? Our,
1: our, our behavioral sort of psychologists and consultants and, and, and sort of in-house people believe that you need to educate yeah. people to really sort of get them to become lifelong recyclers. You, you can only, you know, sort of encourage uh, with a stick or with a, a carrot for so long. People need to be doing it sort of auto uh, behaviorally rather than by, you know, having to worry about something else. And so the best group is between, I think, 7 and 13 to 14 years old. Once you catch them then... They're lifelong. I mean, that's it. They become believers because they see the benefit. And in their mind, they don't think of throwing away a box without taking out the metal bit first. And they can just, you know, they deconstruct it in their mind and they it in the right bins, right? Um, everybody else requires a whole more effort, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, We have different programs for different. So our core program is targeted around that group. And and we go to schools. We have a truck that drives around in a lot of countries where you can see people, you know, sort of going up into the truck and seeing how we do the waste management. And when people see the, the effort that is put towards, uh, you know, the collection, the sorting, the recycling, you know, so cleaning, preparation, recycling, remanufacturing, they feel really guilty. I mean, there's a there's a moment of like, oh, God, you know, if it only took for me just to separate these two things, I can stop you know, this much effort being put in. And then every once in a while, we do a drive uh, on a beach in in every country that we operate. Uh, And and we try to sort of clean the shores and we do, you know, these kinds of sort of community activities just to make sure that people understand that this is their, I mean, this is their shore. I mean, it's, you know, our people might swim there, but they will account for, you know, 1%, maybe half a percent of the population. But, you know, at the end, it's your beach. And if you don't keep it clean, you know, it's never going to stay yep. clean. At the end of the day, the 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 responsibility for great waste management comes down to the individual, and and this is something that we try to impress upon everybody, whether they are voting for the municipal leader that is going to set the the, the tone for what kind of waste management, whether they what they put into their bin at work, whether they allow their employer to throw uh, the wrong uh, chemical in a in a, in a in a river or down the wrong drain right it's 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 your world i mean and if you want to be the kind of person that sort of sits there and says I wasn't me then you know it, it's it, it's really short-sighted because you know your children or your grandchildren or your pets or some someone's going to pay the price i mean you cannot hide away from environmental no. damage it comes no, back
0: final question really i mean just looking forward um where do you see the real, as it were, shining lights, which might, you know, for in your business and elsewhere in Africa, which which will see the shining lights at the end of the tunnel as opposed to the one coming towards you? And where do you see the big hopes in, in Africa?
1: I, I, I see the hope in, in, in the youth. I mean, you know, whenever you go anywhere in Africa, right, uh, the amount of energy that you get from speaking. Uh, to people in universities or people who are just coming up with new ideas. I think, you know, uh, it's beyond hope. I think it's coming. I think there's really, it's not about hope. You know, when you when you speak to people like this, you realize that, you know, it, change is coming. And, and that's a great thing. Uh, for me, the hope is, uh, or, or what we are, you know, as this sort of generation's legacy should be that we give them the infrastructure they deserve and they need to be able to realize those dreams and, and, and ambition. Very rarely do you go see a fund manager that doesn't have a 100 billion or 200 <laughs> billion or trillion. I mean, these numbers that, you know, <laughs> that beggar belief, right? So uh, I think, you know, if we can connect some of that money into reliable. Uh, well-organized infrastructure projects and and I'm gonna speak for my industry. i okay. I think I don't know if I said it on on the call with, with Hogan's the other time, but you know we are the uh, the the curtains of of infrastructure in waste management, right? so you 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 build the building, you put the infra- you know the all the mechanical electrical stuff, you put the furniture, and then you run out of money right around uh, curtains, right and and unfortunately, that's what happens with waste management. you know there's always, uh, uh, great projects but never have been funded and if we can turn that around a little bit that would be that would make a significant amount of change very quickly in every country Malik Zucker, thank you